Section 40 of Micrographia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Micrographia by Robert Hooke. Section 40. Observation 35. Of the contexture and shape of the particles of feathers. Examining several sorts of feathers, I took notice of these particulars in all sorts of wing feathers, especially in those which served for the beating of the air in the action of flying. That the outward surface of the quill and stem was of a very hard, stiff, and horny substance, which is obvious enough, and that the part above the quill was filled with a very white and light pith. And with the microscope, I found this pith to be nothing else but a kind of natural congeries of small bubbles, the films of which seemed to be of the same substance with that of the quill, that is, of a stiff, transparent, horny substance, which particular seems to me very worthy a more serious consideration. For here we may observe nature, as twere, put to its shifts, to make a substance which shall be both light enough, and very stiff and strong, without varying from its own established principles, which we may observe to be such that very strong bodies are, for the most part, very heavy also. A strength of the parts usually requiring a density, and a density, a gravity. And therefore should nature have made a body so broad and so strong as a feather, almost any other way than what it has taken, the gravity of it must necessarily have many times exceeded this. For this pith seems to be like so many stops or cross pieces in a long optical tube, which do very much contribute to the strength of the whole, the pores of which were such as that they seem not to have any communication with one another as I have elsewhere hinted. But the mechanism of nature is usually so excellent that one and the same substance is adapted to serve for many ends. For the chief use of this, indeed, seems to be for the supply of nourishment to the downy or feathery part of the stem. For tis obvious enough in all sorts of feathers that tis placed just under the roots of the branches that grow out of either side of the quill or stalk, and is exactly shaped according to the ranking of those branches, coming no lower into the quill than just the beginning of the downy branches, and growing only on the underside of the quill where those branches do so. Now in a ripe feather, as one may call it, it seems difficult to conceive how the sucus nutritius should be conveyed to this pith, for it cannot, I think, be well imagined to pass through the substance of the quill, since, having examined it with the greatest diligence I was able, I could not find the least appearance of pores. But he that shall well examine an unripe or pinned feather will plainly enough perceive that the vessel for the conveyance of it to be the thin, filmy pith, as tis called, which passes through the middle of the quill. As for the make and contexture of the down itself, it is indeed very rare and admirable, and such as I can hardly believe, that the like is to be discovered in any other body in the world. For there is hardly a large feather in the wing of a bird, but contains near a million of distinct parts and every one of them shaped in a most regular and admirable form, adapted to a particular design. For examining a middle-sized goose-quill, I easily enough found with my naked eye that the main stem of it contained about three hundred longer and more downy branchings upon one side, and as many on the other, of more stiff but somewhat shorter branchings. 
Many of these long and downy branchings, examined with an ordinary microscope, I found divers of them to contain near twelve hundred small leaves, as I may call them, such as EF of this first figure of the twenty-second scheme, and as many stalks on the other side, such as IK of the same figure. Each of the leaves or branchings, EF, seemed to be divided into about sixteen or eighteen small joints, as may be seen plainly enough in the figure out of most of which there seem to grow small long fibers, such as are expressed in the figure, each of them very proportionably shaped according to its position or placed on the stalk EF. Those on the underside of it, namely 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, etc., being much longer than those directly opposite to them on the upper, and divers of them, such as 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, etc., were terminated with small crooks, much resembling those small crooks which are visible enough to the naked eye in the seed buttons of burdocks. The stalks likewise, I.K. on the other side, seem divided into near as many small knotted joints, but without any appearance of strings or crooks, each of them about the middle, K, seem divided into two parts by a kind of fork, on one side of which, namely, K.L., was extended near the length of K-I. The other M was very short. The transverse sections of the stems of these branchings manifested the shape or figure of it to be much like I-N-O-E, which consisted of a horny skin or covering and a white seemingly frothy pith, much like the make of the main stem of a feather. The use of this strange kind of form is indeed more admirable than all the rest, and as such deserve to be much more seriously examined and considered than I have hitherto found time or ability to do. For certainly it may very much instruct us in the nature of the air, especially as to some properties of it. The stems of the downy branches, I-N-O-E, being ranged in the order visible enough to the naked eye at a distance of I-F, or somewhat more, the collateral stalks and leaves, if I may so call those bodies I newly described, are so ranged that the leaves or hairy stalks of the one side lie at top, or are incumbent on the stalks of the other, and cross each other, much after the manner expressed in the second figure of the twenty-second scheme, by which means every of those little hooked fibers of the leaved stalk get between the naked stalks, and the stalks being full of knots, and a pretty way disjoined, so as that the fibers can easily get between them, the two parts are so closely and admirably woven together that it is able to impede, for the greatest part, the transcursion of the air. And though they are so exceeding small, as that the thickness of one of those stalks amounts not to a five-hundredth part of an inch, yet do they compose so strong a texture, as notwithstanding the exceeding quick and violent beating of them against the air by the strength of the bird's wing, they firmly hold together. And it argues an admirable providence of nature in the contrivance and fabric of them, for their texture is such that though by any external injury the parts of them are violently disjoined, so as that the leaves and stalks touch not one another, and consequently several of these rents would impede the birds flying, yet for the most part of themselves they readily rejoin and recontext themselves, and are easily, by the bird stroking the feather, or drawing it through its bill, all of them settled and woven into their former and natural posture. For there are such an infinite company of those small fibers in the underside of the leaves, 
and most of them have such little crooks at their ends that they readily catch and hold the stalks they touch from which strange contexture it seems rational to suppose that there is a certain kind of mesh or hole so small that air will not very easily pass through it as i hinted also in the sixth observation about small glass canes for otherwise it seems probable that nature would have drawn over some kind of thin film which should have covered all those almost square meshes or holes there seeming through the microscope to be more than half of the surface of the feather which is open and visibly pervious which conjecture will yet seem more probable from the texture of the brushy wings of the tinea argentea or white feather winged moth which i shall anon describe but nature that knows best its own laws and the several properties of bodies knows also best how to adapt and fit them to her desired end and whoso would know those properties must endeavour to trace nature in its working and to see what course she observes and this i suppose will be no inconsiderable advantage which the schematisms and structures of animate bodies will afford the diligent inquirer namely most sure and excellent instructions both as to the practical part of mechanics and to the theory and knowledge of the nature of the bodies and motions. End of section 40. Recording by Philip Gould.